Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. Amen. Are you glad you're in the house today? Thank you so much for being here. If you're a guest with us, thank you for being here. I know some of you folks are here to see a baptism, and we're grateful for that, but we hope you also felt the presence of the Lord in the place. Amen? Amen. He's in the place thick today. It's awesome. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 10. While you're turning there, I want to remind you about these cards. We started giving them out last week. They're business cards, but they're blank, all right, on either side. And if you did not receive one, we'll have them uh, being handed out at the door. There's also a little bin up here by this cross that has those in them. What we're doing uh, in the next few weeks, we're going to begin presenting the gospel by itself in addition to the sermon every Sunday. And in the meantime, we are encouraging you as a touch point to write names on these cards. And we're going to take these these cards and these names, and we're going to put them on this cross over here, okay? So this is my card. I've been working on it this morning. I've got about uh, 18 people on my list here, people that I know. Well, you're a preacher. Everybody's saved. Nope, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. So we're going to take this, and we're going to put these on this cross. You can do it however you want. I've got a first name and a last initial because I know who they are. Jesus knows who they are. You can face them in and put them on there, all right? That easy. we got push pins over here, and we've got cards there. And what we're going to do is we're going to use this as something to remind us every time we're in the house that there are people in our lives that need Jesus, right? We know it, but sometimes we got to be reminded. So that's what that's about. And every Sunday we're going to pray over that, over that cross. It's not a magic cross. It's not a magic business card, right? It's not like, oh, that's what we have to do, and then Jesus will save them. No, that's to keep us praying. That's to keep our eyes on the prize, to keep our eyes focused on what God's wanting to do. Because we need to, we need to prepare the way before they ever come in here for them to hear the gospel, to be ready to hear it and receive it. Jesus said over and over again to the people that could hear him, if you have ears, let him hear. Amen? Those who have ears, let them hear. They need to hear the gospel. Lord, we want you to prepare their ears so that when they come, they can hear the gospel. We want to we counteract what the enemy's doing. The Bible says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So we need to pray sight instead of blindness. Amen. We need to pray that the, the stronghold that that enemy has built in their mind would come down in the name of Jesus and that they would be able to see clearly what Jesus is doing, unlike with the lights. And that's the second reference today. Just ignore it. All right. But we need them to be able to see. The Bible says that whatsoever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatsoever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Therefore, we bind sin, we loose salvation in the name of Jesus, right? The Bible says where two or three agree as touching anything, it shall be done of our Father in heaven. So we agree, and that's what this is, a prayer of agreement. We agree as pastors, we agree as a congregation. Our prayer team will be in agreement as well. While you pray, we're praying. And we're going to believe Jesus is going to save them. You believe he can do it? All right. All right. So let's see this cross fill up over the next few weeks. And I promise you, there's going to be a time where you get to walk up there and turn your card around and mark a name off. Or let's even get wild and believe that there might be a time where you get to yank that whole card off the list. 
Amen? Off the cross. It's possible. It's possible. We're going to give God room to do it. Amen. All right. You ready for the word? Mark 10, 35. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. That's a pretty bold request of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory, in your heavenly kingdom. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? They said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Other versions say, prepared by my Father in heaven. I want to preach to you this morning on this Baptism Sunday, submit and be baptized. Submit and be baptized. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence that's in this place. God, we are grateful, Lord, that you would come in and inhabit our praise. And Lord, we ask you in your power and your authority to open up ears to hear, to open up hearts to receive this good seed of the word. God, it's always good seed. Lord, let it get into us and produce something alive that remains. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Now, you would think with this title, I'm speaking strictly about water baptism today, but I'm going to throw a curveball at you. I'm not. Amen. How many folks have been baptized at the place before? All right. How many? Ten years ago. Ten years plus. Anybody ten years plus? Twenty years plus? Twenty years? I'm at 29 years, so I can't go to the next one. Thirty years? Anybody thirty years? Forty years? Fifty years? Sixty years? 70 years? All right, okay. I was like, there's got to be a limit somewhere. Wow, somebody's really uh, seasoned in the place. Wow, isn't that awesome? Do you remember the day? you remember the experience? I got baptized in the old sanctuary over there. It's the youth room now. We have a storage room where the old baptistry used to be, and it was an awesome, like, 70s green. It was like a giant bathtub, and it was, like, 70s green. And it had this really pretty... A waterfall, river, mural behind it that somebody painted. It was awesome. But when I got baptized, I was eight years old. And I was so small. I know you're surprised by that. I was so small that I could not be seen over the edge of the baptistry. And so my dad, who was baptizing me, uh, I got down in there, and then he had to lift me up and show me to the crowd because I was too small. Huh? It was wonderful. And I remember it to this day now. 29 years later, I remember it. And I, I even baptized, got baptized again when I was an adult as just kind of a, doing the first works over again kind of thing because uh, I understood it better, you know. And it was powerful. It was awesome. But baptism is a great thing. But I, I need you to open up your mind to the possibility that baptism is so much bigger and deeper than dunking you underwater. Okay? I need you to understand for a second. If you've been baptized 70 years ago, all right? I need you to just open up to the possibility that when you were brought into Christ, something immense took place in your life. Something incredible happened to your existence. I believe there are plenty of believers who do not know the full gravity of what they were baptized into. And I don't mean when you went into the water. 
I don't mean that. We believe in that because that's an outward show of an inward change. Right? That water doesn't save you. Amen? That's not what died for you. Amen? Jesus died for you. Jesus was the one who lived the perfect life, died the death of a sinner even though he was not a sinner, and then got up on the third day for you so that we can get up. Amen? Jesus did that. But we get baptized to show that. We get laid down as the the old man is dying and then raised up as a new man comes up in their place. And we believe that. It's not just a symbol. That's what's happened when you said that prayer. But there's more even to baptism than just the fact that now you got baptized out of hell and into heaven. Amen? There's more than just being out of the sinful human self and now being a new shiny sparkly Christian. There's more to it. So I'm going to get into it in this passage in, John, in Mark chapter 10. James and John, they come to Jesus. Jesus is in Judea. He's wrapping up his earthly ministry. He's headed toward the cross. All right, We are weeks from the cross at this point. Jesus knows what's coming. He's been telling the disciples verbatim, the Son of Man is going to be afflicted. He's going to be crucified. He's telling them, all right? The sons of Zebedee, James and John, they're part of his inner circle. Jesus had, a, he had concentric circles in his life. He had three guys that were his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Then he had the 12 disciples. Then he had the 70 uh, other disciples. And then it went out from there, all right? So Jesus had these three guys. These were among the guys who saw Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were there when Jesus took off his flesh and stepped into his full spiritual self. They saw the clouds. They heard the voice speak out of the clouds saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. They heard it. They knew that Jesus was God. And they come to Jesus with a seemingly self-centered request. And I know that it seems that way because the passage later tells us the other disciples were a little perturbed that they had asked what they asked. They were a little aggravated. It's also interesting that the Gospel of Mark is really the account of Peter the Apostle. All right, He used John Mark as a scribe, but it's Peter's account of the Gospel of Jesus. If you read this same story in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew records that their mother came and requested. They brought their mama to Jesus to try to persuade Jesus to give them seats in heavenly places. That's a little bit dirty, isn't it? That seems just a little bit self-centered. And I think it's neat because in Mark, Peter completely omits mama because Peter knew it was really from James and John. They were the ones behind it. They might have used mama to ask the question, maybe. But Peter's like, no, I'm going to tell people how it really was. And doesn't that sound like Peter? I'm going to tell people how it really was. These guys wanted to sit on either side of Jesus for all eternity. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that desire. And, and truthfully, I don't think they were trying to be selfish. I believe they were close to Jesus, and they just wanted to stay there. Have you ever been in a season in your Christian life where you are close to Jesus, and it's like, man, everything you pray is hitting the ears of heaven, right? Where everything you do, God reaches out, and he touches, and he moves. Every time you open that book, his word grabs you by the throat, right? Every time you pray, something changes and something happens. And then conversely, we step out of those times, don't we? So I get it, wanting to be there and stay there. I get that, wanting this promise that I'll never lose this connection that I feel. So they ask this question, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. But then he presents them with two questions. Will you drink from the cup? Are you able to drink from the cup that I'm drinking from? 
And are you willing to be baptized, able to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And that's a little wordy, but, but there's something bigger happening here than submersion in water. Open it up, all right? Open up your brain here. Let's see what God says. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? What is the cup that Jesus drank from? Let's start there. Let's start with the first question. What is the cup that Jesus was drinking from? Could it be a, a, a cup of uh, persecution, a cup of death? We know that Jesus tasted death for the cause of the kingdom. We know that. We know he was persecuted unjustly. We know that. We also know that that had to happen for us to be saved, okay? Um, and then we look at James and John. We know that James, the, the apostle, was the first apostle to die for Christ. He died not long after the day of Pentecost, just a few short months or years after Pentecost, James was killed, beheaded, for the cause of Christ. So we know that James drank from that cup. We also know that John drank from the cup of persecution, but he never died. Remember? John is the one who lived. He wrote five, five books of the New Testament. I had to think about it. The Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. So he wrote these books of the New Testament because he was persecuted severely. He was boiled and he survived. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was wounded. All these things. They finally exiled him because he would not die. That does not mean he was Superman and everything was bouncing off. No, he bore the marks of being boiled. Okay, by the time he was an old man, he looked pretty rough. And so he, he suffered persecution. He drank from a cup of persecution, certainly. But he did not die, so we got to rule out death. We could maybe make the case for persecution, but I would like to use the Scripture to clear up the image of the cup that Christ truly drank from. And I want to present this to you because I believe this cup is still available to you and I. Okay? In three of the four Gospels, in Matthew 26, 39, when Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, this is right before the cross. He has been betrayed. The soldiers are on the way. He is praying. And he says this in Matthew 26, 39. He went a little beyond the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Same Greek word as in Mark chapter 10. Let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then Peter recalls it in Mark, 16, Mark 14, 36. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then Luke recorded in, in Luke twenty two forty two, 42, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. The cup that Jesus was about to drink from was not the cup of persecution and death. The cup that he was offering to James and John was not the cup of persecution and death. The only thing that Jesus mentions specifically in these three accounts of his prayer in Gethsemane, he mentions submission. Think about it. The cup that Jesus drank from, he never said, Lord, don't let them beat me. Father, don't let them crucify me. Father, don't let them lay my back open. Father, No, he, he said, Father, let this cup Pass from me. The only way that Jesus was to go through the cross is if he were to submit. In fact, he said in Matthew 26, 53, Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? 
Jesus had, as, as Pastor preached many years ago, just on the other side of the veil, just on the other side of the curtain, the angels stood by waiting for Jesus to say the word so that they could step through and take over. But he didn't. He didn't. He never called for them. Why? Because the cup that he drank from was a cup of submission. He submitted, brother, sister, non-believer, this cup is still available. In fact, I would say this is the cup that is continuously, daily presented to us whether or not we drink from it. Because let's face it, we don't always drink from the cup of submission. Even those that were baptized decades ago can say honestly that we've not always drank from the cup of submission. That we've not been willing to say, not mine, but yours. Because how often do we do what we want to do? There's times we sin on accident. We didn't know it was bad. But then there's plenty of times, I would say more times, where we know it, we want it, so we do it. But we know Jesus. But we've been baptized 85 years ago or whatever. But then we still, we still do Why? Because we have to choose the cup of submission every single time. Every, I would say every day, but it's not just every day. It's every opportunity to do something else. Every opportunity to do something that is outside of God's will or outside of God's plan. Over and over again, Jesus said, yeah, yet not what I want, not what, not mine, but as you will. What you want, what you say. Not mine, yours. That's submission. That's supernatural. That's powerful. That is what facilitates transformation. We can be uber-religious and not be transformed. We can go to church three times a week. We go 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m. on Sunday. We can go all three hours on, on Sunday, three services. We can go Sunday or, or Wednesday night, 7 to 8, and still not be transformed. We know it, don't we? I'm not trying to make this heavy. I'm trying to bring some reality to you, okay? This is a cup that Jesus still offers to the believer. And if you're not a believer, he's offering, to, offering it to you today. If you will come to him and make him your Lord and your Savior and your Master and your King and you will choose to submit to him, he will baptize you, yes, out of hell into heaven, but also out of sin and into new life. And that's what we're talking about here. With submission comes newness of life. Because submission facilitates the transforming work of God. And that transforming work is baptism, not the water. When, when we allow God to do that, when we submit, we are being baptized into something bigger than us. Amen? Everybody with me so far? All right. Back to verse 39 in Mark chapter 10. They said to him, remember, he said, I don't think you understand what you're asking. Are you able? And they said, we are able. We are able. And he says to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized. Jesus was not saying that they needed to go dig up the body of John the Baptist and reattach his head so that he can baptize them. That was morbid, sorry. He wasn't saying that. He was saying to them, that word baptized is the Greek word baptizo. 
that matters. That's the original word that was used. That word means to immerse or to submerge or to make whelmed. Whelmed. You ever been whelmed? You know what whelmed means? What does whelmed mean? We know what overwhelmed means. You know, whelmed actually means to be fully wet. We think of it as just like being buried under stuff, being overwhelmed. But when you're whelmed, you're fully wet. So when you're overwhelmed, you're, you're drowning. You're saturated, okay? To immerse or to submerge to make whelmed. There's an interesting note in the, uh, the, the dictionary for this Greek word. Don't tune out. This is interesting, okay? The clearest example of the meaning of baptizo is a text from a Greek poet named Nicander. He lived 200 years before Christ. And the note that he left was a recipe for making pickles. Anybody like pickles? I like the crunchy ones and the, the kosher dills. And, yeah, those are good with a sandwich. Go to Gantz's. They're really good with their sandwiches. Yeah. They have good pickles. I don't know what brand they get, but they're good. Making pickles. And it's helpful because it uses both words. Because the word baptizo comes from the Greek word bapto. Makes sense. Sounds the same, doesn't it? Bapto, baptizo. Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be bapto, dipped. Dipped into boiling water. Dipped. We understand the concept of dipped, don't we? Dipped. You put it in and you take it out. Dipped. Bapto. And then that same uh, cucumber, soon to be pickle, is baptized, baptizo, in the vinegar. In the vinegar. Both verbs concern the immersing of vegetables in a solution. But the first is temporary. The second, the act of baptizing the vegetable, produces a permanent change. Isn't that interesting? What a, what a silly example. A pickle. A cucumber becoming a pickle. My wife actually wanted me to call it the sermon, cucumber or, cucumber or pickle. And I said, maybe in my youth group days I could have pulled that off, but I'm not creative enough anymore. So you guys got the leftovers. Sorry. Cucumber. Dipped. Dipped. In, out. In, out. Can I tell you most believers live like a cucumber? In and out. They're dipped in on Sunday, man. We're singing, give me Jesus, and they're singing, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. And then Monday hits, and they are out. Sometimes Sunday afternoon hits, and they're out. Dipped in and out, in and out. And listen, I, I'm not dogging you. Listen, I have those days, right? It's so amazing. You, you would never believe if you did, you probably wouldn't want us to be your preachers anymore. But there's so many times where we can stand up here in authority and power and then go home and do something stupid. Go home and make our wives mad because we're dumb and full of stupid, dumb stuff. Let's not say we. I'll say me. How about that? Me. No offense to you all. We can stand up here and proclaim truth in power and then be full of fear. So I know you can too. So I'm not coming down on you. But what I'm saying is we have to make a conscious decision. We have to say to the Lord, Lord, we will not be bapto. We will not be dipped in and out, in and out, up and down, in and out. We can be. But the other option is baptizo, submersion. We're being submerged, immersed in this thing. Something so big has happened in us that once we got in it, we did not want to get out, and once we came out, we were different. Never the same. Baptizo. 
church. You've been baptized. If you call Jesus your Lord, you have been immersed in something that is so massive. So massive it causes men to choose death instead of life. I don't want to go that route. I don't think I'm there yet that I might choose death. I got a family. I got young kids. These guys chose it because they got so immersed in what God could do with a man that it transformed them. We dip because dipping is easier. It's safer. It doesn't hurt. It's not as adverse. We can get our taste of Jesus, our taste of the Holy Ghost, and our gifting and the fruit of the Spirit. And then when it's convenient, we can hop out. We can hop out. We can get out of that pressure, out of that adversity. When it suits us, we can lose our our temper when it suits us. So we hop out. Because once we're in, we're transformed. we got to have self-control. Right? So we hop out. Oh, they deserve it. I'm out. I'm out. And then we go back to Jesus. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me, but I was right. Jesus, forgive me, but I was right. Amen. How many, anybody said that? I've said that. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Which will we be? The cucumber or the pickling? Look, her title's going to win out anyway. Which will we be? That's the question. This is the opportunity. So, what immersed? I think the next logical step is, what was it that Jesus was immersed in? What was Jesus baptized into? You could say the cross. You could say the mission of the kingdom. Sure, you can say all that. But, but that was not James and John's mission. So, if he's inviting them to be immersed in something, it can't be the same thing he was immersed in if it's the cross. Does that make sense? They weren't called to carry a cross. They weren't called to die on a cross for other people's sins. You're not either. Okay? You don't have to die for somebody else's sins. Let that pressure go. you got to lead them to the one who did die for their sins and got up from the grave. So what was Jesus immersed in? Briefly, Luke 19, verse 10. Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That which was lost. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Lost, when something is lost but it's being sought out, it means that there's value to it. People don't look for things that aren't valuable. You ever lose a penny? You turn the house upside down for a penny? Nope. $100 bill? Shoot, a 20? Amen. A 20? Yeah, absolutely. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He was immersed in that mission so much that he lived every day for 33 and a half years to a level of perfection that we cannot live. He was immersed in it. John 3.17, we all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus was immersed in that. And John wrote this. John wrote this years later after Jesus had told them, you're going you're to drink from my cup, you're going to be baptized with my baptism. And Jesus, or, or John, understood years later what it was really that Jesus was immersed in. It was this, that the Son was not sent to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You and I can be immersed in that. I can't be immersed in the cross 
in, in the sense of it being my cross. I can get immersed in his. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus was so immersed in this that he counted it as sustenance. He counted the mission of his father as sustenance. He said, what feeds me more than anything is doing what my father wants me to do and saying what he wants me to say. And that sounds alien if you've never done it. But those who have had the opportunity to stand in that moment, in that situation where the anointing is upon you, where God has put you in a place to do what you're supposed to do, in front of the people you're supposed to do it, at the time you're supposed to do it, there is nothing else like it. No, no other thing will do once you've tasted that. And that's kind of, I think that's why preachers do a lot of the terrible stuff they end up doing, because they're trying to chase and get, get to that all the time. They're trying to build their platform and their business and their name so that they can have that all the time. But the problem is there's still a right way to do it. Still a right way, okay? That's a sidebar. But the point is that Jesus was so immersed that he counted the work of the kingdom as food. Food and drink. It's more important that I do what my father says than what I eat today. Anybody got there? Whoa. I won't even say that I'm there yet. I like some good things. And there are plenty of days where I want to do the work of the kingdom, and there's plenty of days where I want to go home and sit on the couch. Amen. John 8, 28. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and I do nothing on my own, but I say these things as the Father instructed me. Are you starting to get a picture of what Jesus was immersed in? A mission, a purpose, a plan sent straight from his Father in heaven. And he knew it was his Father because he was so close to him, he could hear him. When was the last time we heard our Father speak to us? Well, I don't even know if he can speak to us. That's, that's a little bit self-righteous to think he can speak to us. He can talk out of a bush. He can talk out of a donkey. He can talk to murderers. Moses was a murderer. He can talk to terrible people that he wants to use. You don't think he can talk to you? You think he lost his voice because you met Jesus? Because we're 2,000 years past the cross, he can't talk anymore? You better hope he can still talk. Because if he can't still talk, he couldn't talk then either. And nothing would be made without his voice, without his word. He still talks. We just don't listen. We don't listen. It's easier to say, no, God can't speak to me than to say, no, I can't hear him. Thank you. It's easier to say, no, no, of course God doesn't speak. Audible voice of God? What kind of lunatic believes God can speak? Book's full of them. The church ought to be too. It ought to be full of people who say, God told me today. Now listen, don't ask God what cereal to eat. Don't ask God stupid stuff. Show respect. Come on. I don't trust people who, I don't trust people who say God's telling, like he's sitting on their shoulder telling them everything to do. I don't believe that. I don't see scripture for that. But God speaking at a time, a moment, a crucial point, and giving you a direction, oh yeah, that's all over the book. And it ought to be all over you. Amen? It ought to be. But here's the thing. We don't take things to God, and then we also don't give him time to speak. 
We take things to God at the last possible minute when it's about to blow up, and we beg for an answer, and then we do what we were going to do anyway. I'm meddling. Meddling, sorry. It's true, though. It's true, though. I do it, too. I know. I have an idea of what I want to happen, and I go to God, and within about three prayers, if it doesn't happen, then I go do my thing. And I always make it worse every time. God, I've got fear in my life. I need you to give me power, love, and sound mind. Okay, God, give me power, love, and sound mind. God, give me power, love, and sound mind. Well, uh, it's freaking me out. I'm going to go do what I wanted to do. And then i got to go to God and say, God, why didn't you give me power, love, and sound mind? I didn't wait for him to give it to me. I didn't. Maybe that's not even what I need. Maybe I'm asking amiss. Amen. He said, when you lift up the Son of Man, you'll know that I am. I do nothing on my own. But I say these things as the Father instructed me. John 8, 38, I speak of the things which I have seen with my Father. Now we've, we've, we've jumped a level, church. Now he's seeing the Father. Not just hearing. Now he's seeing the Father. What would happen if we had a church full of people who heard and saw God? What, what could happen? And I mean that. I, I know that sounds like a good preaching point, and it is. But... Real, real reality. What would happen if you saw God's direction and his moving and then you obeyed it? And there wasn't the mushroom cloud that usually follows. There wasn't the chaos and the repentance that comes. Because you, something in you said, and I don't mean that you saw God step out of heaven necessarily. I mean, if he does that, awesome. Tell me about it. It'd be cool. I just mean you see things. You're like, that's lining up. That's lining up. That's lining up. God might be in this. And then we go the way it's lining up. And then God does what he wants to do. And then we're in a place that God willed. And then the enemy can't touch it. He can't take it. He'll fight it, but he can't take it because God put it there. And I got there with God. And so the enemy will fight it, but he can't have it. And I've got more ground to stand on that he can't have it because I'm where God wants me to be. We fight for promises and manifestations of what God has for us, but we are not yet where we can stand for them. And that might be a little deeper than you're ready for, but we're over here saying, God, give me my purpose, my promise. God, give, save my family. And it's over here. And the enemy's fighting over here because he knows that's where God's going. And we're back over here saying, God, do it. God, do it. God, do it. And God's saying, come over here and fight it. Stand up. Get in the middle of it. Quit wandering over here. I speak of the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. He goes on to call them their father, the, the, the devil. <laughs> They're children of the devil in John 8. John 14, 10. Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the father as he remains in me does his works. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father, as he remains in me, does his works. What was the baptism that Jesus was baptized with? What was the baptism that James and John and Peter and Paul and so many others were baptized with? 
the mission and the purpose and the direction and the instruction, the relationship of them with their Father. That's the baptism of the believer. That we were lost and on our way to hell. No hope, no remedy. There's no amount of good we could do. There's still no amount of good that we could do that could earn our way into heaven and out of hell. But Jesus came because our Father sent him on a mission. And that same Father that sent that Son has a mission and a purpose for your life. And if I will be baptized into that, everything else will be taken care of. Everything else will be taken care of. All right? Jacob's getting ready for baptism. Don't worry about him. Look at me. He's prettier than I am, but look at me. All right. That was weird. Sorry. (laughs) Got weird. Jesus was immersed in a mission and a purpose in a relationship with his Father. That's what he was baptized into. Remember, when Jesus went down in the water, a dove came down and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. The relationship that was displayed by the dove and the voice existed before he ever got to the water. But that's the relationship you and I, by drinking the cup of submission, are now baptized into. Did you know that? Did you know that? You were not just baptized to get out of hell. But you were baptized into a relationship with your heavenly Father. And that relationship is transforming. That relationship will make you, not just a cucumber, make you a pickle. She wins again. That relationship keeps you from having to be dipped in and out. From living that up and down Christian life that so many believers settle for. In and out, up and down all the time. When it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's terrible. But instead, you get in, you get transformed, you got to be boiled a little bit. you got to soak up some stuff. There might be some things you want justice for, but God doesn't give you justice. you got to soak it up and move on. But you come out different. You come out changed. You come out smelling like what he put you in instead of what you were before. You come out different. Baptizo. Will you be baptized? Will you drink the cup? Church, this is our opportunity. Every single believer in here, if we choose the cup of submission, baptism will follow. Relationship will follow. If I submit to the Father, that means His will before mine. His word above mine. The book. If He says not to lie, I can't lie anymore. Now, if I do, there's grace. But do we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. We can't do that. But now I know my Father's Word. My Father's Word says X, Y, and Z. And now I'm in a relationship with Him. To maintain that relationship, that transformative power, all I get to do is do it. But I got the Holy Ghost in me. I got Jesus in me. I got armies of angels fighting for me. Got everything I need to succeed. Jesus had to go it alone. Him and the Holy Ghost and the Father. Which granted, awesome team. But we've got them too. We've got them too. And angels. And authority. And power. And gifting. And fruit. 
We've got everything. Everything that we need. Because Jesus has opened an invitation for us to be baptized at the same baptism that he, he did. It's not just about getting out of hell. It's about getting into a relationship with the Father. And the relationship with the Father does end up in heaven. But it gives you a lot of heaven to go to heaven in. A lot. Doesn't mean you won't be fought. Doesn't mean the enemy won't fight dirty. He's a dirty fighter. He's good at what he does. But he won't win. He won't win. When it's all said and done, he's in the lake of fire, you're in the city of God. When it's all said and done, he is gone forever, and we are alive forever with with our maker. When it's all said and done. So all I've got to do now is drink that cup of submission. So church, submit and be baptized. Submit and become immersed in a relationship with the Father. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized for 70 years. You can be baptized fresh and new today into that relationship. And hey, if you want to jump in the pool, go for it. We got robes. But more than that, more important than you getting in that water is that you understand what has happened for you. You understand what you can now become. Somebody, somebody who's, who can be sustained by God's work, not by society. Sustained by God's word, transformed by God's word, not by your peers. Not by the people around you or what's happening in D.C. or Frankfurt or anywhere else. We have a new source. We have something else that's feeding us and sustaining us. But we've got to be baptized into it. Amen? Stand with me this morning. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Yeah, if you're being baptized, go on out. What, do we continue in sin so that grace may increase? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? There's a great note on this verse. It says, Paul says we are baptized unto death, meaning that we are not only dead to our former ways, but they are buried. We are not only dead to our former ways, but those former ways are buried. He goes on to say, to return to them is as unthinkable for a Christian as for someone to dig up a dead corpse. Do you understand? Those former works are dead and buried and gone. Who we were is gone. Not just the, the guy who's going to hell, we're shinier and better now, right? No, no, gone. Dead, buried. It'd be the same as if we were to go down to Winchester Cemetery and dig up a dig up grandpa. It's crazy. It doesn't work like that. We have been baptized into something transformational. And if our old ways still have a voice in our life, we've not been fully immersed. Amen? If the things of this world still have a voice in your life, you've not been fully immersed. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect starting right now. I'm not saying that. But you can shoot for perfection. You can aim for it. I get to be more like Jesus the longer I walk with him. I'm more like Jesus now than I've ever been. 
which is amazing because I am still way off from Jesus. But I am way better than I used to be. Amen. What used to bind me doesn't quite bind me anymore. What used to afflict me doesn't quite afflict me anymore, except when I do dumb things. And I open that door wide open. Verse 4 in Romans 6 says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. New life. New life. Why? Because we got baptized into a relationship with our Father. New life. Where there once was death. New life. What an opportunity. If you would please, let's bow our heads. I know Pastor Mike already did this, but I want to give it another shot. If you're in this place today and you've not quite experienced that baptism, not just out of hell, but the baptism into a relationship with the Father, you might be a believer. If you're a non-believer, we want you to raise your hand too. But maybe you're a believer and you've not quite experienced that full transformation just yet. Today's the day to come to the Father and to say, I want to be baptized into you fully, fully. So let's lift our hands this morning, if you're comfortable with it. Lift your hands and let's say to God, God, I want to be baptized. I want to be immersed in you. I want to be immersed in you. If you don't know Jesus yet, all you have to say to Jesus is, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior, my Master and my King. That's all you got to say, and you're in. But those of us who've said it, let's go to Him again and let's say to Him one more time today, Father, I want to go deeper into Your presence. I want to be immersed in a relationship with You. I want to get deeper into my relationship. God, show me who you are. Show me your ways. Instruct me. Open my ears to hear. Open my ears to hear when you talk. Open my eyes to see when you're moving and what you're doing. Jesus, open me up and immerse me. Immerse me. Father, no, just whelm me. Overwhelm me. Overwhelm me, Lord. If I'm going to drown in this life, let it be in your presence. If I'm going to drown in this life, let it be in your, in your purpose and in your plan. Jesus, we immerse ourselves. Lord, we immerse this church into you, God. We baptize this house, fresh and new, into your presence, into relationship with you. Jesus, this is your house. You have the preeminence here. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Father. It's your house, Father. Fill it with your people. Fill it with your harvest. God, fill it with your people who don't even know they're your people yet. Fill it in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. If you're in agreement, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. God, we agree. We agree. We agree. Amen. If you've got to, if you've got to go, that's fine. Go out respectfully. If you don't, let's hang out. Let's wait for them to come out for the baptism. And let's celebrate these brothers and sisters. They've come into the family, amen. They once were dead, but now they are alive, amen. That's what's really happened. They're just going to show you. They're just going to prove it to you, all right? 
Thank you for listening today to the Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.